victory and success and, and uh, hopefulness that God is going to help you with triumph. That it, it's great and encouraging when you read about Daniel in the lion's den and David and Goliath, right? And, and there's uh, stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and great hope that God will be with us in our trials and help us overcome great odds. But if you look at the stories of the Israelite people as a whole and their history in the Old Testament, the way that they behaved, generally speaking as a nation, like we talked about yesterday, it can be really discouraging. Uh, when they got what they wanted, they were happy. But when they didn't get what they wanted, they acted like spoiled, rotten teenagers, didn't they? It was this up and down, in and out, roller coaster existence. God was always faithful and true to them, but they didn't obey Him all the time. They wandered away from the Lord, even when He was blessing them. And then when they were being disciplined by the Lord, they would cry out to Him for help. And because of His overwhelming compassion and great love and mercy toward His people, the Lord would rescue them over and over and over again. It's really quite amazing. So yesterday, when we left off with Moses... Um, he had handed off the leadership to Joshua. Joshua, remember, was the young man who, when Moses uh, left the presence of the Lord to go out and do his daily work, Joshua stayed in the presence of the Lord. So Joshua is leading this new generation of Israelite people across the Jordan River and into the land that has been promised to them by the Lord. And this is what Scripture says about him in Joshua 1. 5 through 9. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. God says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Y'all remember the story. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. So we know the story. And so we move from there because the walls come tumbling down and Joshua led the people into uh, Canaan and the Lord made a way for them to take over the territories of Canaan. Because we are trying to finish the Old Testament today, y'all, we're going to move right on into the book of Judges, okay? And there are various leaders of the people of Israel during the time of Judges. Um, a judge was kind of a combination military deliverer and civil ruler. There were 12 different judges during this period of history, and a few of them are real, real familiar to us, more familiar than others. Can you tell me who some of the judges were? Deborah? Gideon? Gideon? Samson, somebody said Jephthah, that's all I, that's all I come, yeah, there's more, but you know, we, those are the biggies, okay. What about Bible stories in Judges? Remember how the sun stood still in the middle of the day so that the army of Israel could be victorious? Gideon and his fleece, his horns, him making that army smaller and smaller and smaller, depending on how they drank the water, right? Samson and Delilah. Deborah and Jael, two women in the Old Testament who bravely fought for God's honor. So there's these Sunday school flannel board stories have been filled for years with the stories from the, the book of Judges. We're going to completely jump over the book of Ruth, which is really sad because it's a great story of redemption. It's a beautiful story, but we're flying like a rocket, right? Okay, so Adam and Eve, the snake, Noah. Abraham and Isaac, the 12 guys, Egypt, Moses, what a great guy, the Ten Commandments, Joshua fifth the battle of Jericho, that's where we are, you staying caught up with me? 
Now, as you know, the Bible is not written in chronological order. That can make it really confusing. Once you get to 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, reading these two sections of the Bible can sometimes seem like stories repeat themselves. That's because the stories repeat themselves. <laughs> and so many times you read the same thing twice. Sometimes you can even read the same thing in Isaiah that you read in Samuel or Chronicles. It's the same history written by different people from different perspectives. Nobody said that reading and understanding the Bible was going to be easy, but it's good. It's good. So in 1 Samuel, uh, God gives the people the king that they asked for, the first king. Who was that? Saul. King Saul. Uh, 2 Samuel tells the story of David's kingdom. Kind of looks like uh, Beauty and the Beast or something. I mean, no, not Beauty and the Beast, uh, Sleeping Beauty. That's what it looks like. But anyway, this is, let's pretend like this is King David. King David was a great king, the best king Israel ever had. He wasn't perfect, but he had a heart that loved God. And when he made mistakes, the thing about David was he turned back toward God instead of away from him. Much of the book of Psalms was written by good King David. We are promised in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come through King David's family. In 1 Kings, we learn about King Solomon's family. 2 Kings tells us about various kings of Israel and Judah who came after King Solomon. Now this is where things can get really confusing, y'all, because King Solomon started out as a good guy, right? We all know the story about how he, when he was younger, asked the Lord for wisdom. Instead of asking him for a bunch of riches, he asked the Lord for wisdom. Um, and God gave him wisdom, so he was very, very wise. God blessed him. King Solomon built the temple. He started out as a really, really good guy, but Solomon loved the ladies. He ended up marrying a whole bunch of women, and these women were not followers of Yahweh. And so uh, King Solomon got um, deceived and began to follow false religions of some of his wives, and he allowed the people of Israel to do the same thing. And this began the downfall of the nation of Israel. They fell into idolatry and lost the blessing of God. And because of that, the nation of Israel was divided. divided. There was civil war. The kingdom was split. Now, this may not have only been Solomon's fault, because Samuel had also told David that his family would be at war because of David's sin. At any rate, the kingdom became divided. So, so what we have is during, during the time of Saul and David and Solomon's life, the kingdom was united. While Solomon was alive, the kingdom was still united. All of the tribes of Israel were one kingdom. But after Solomon died, the kingdom was divided. This is where things can get really confusing because there was a northern kingdom and it was called Israel. There were ten tribes that stayed in that part. And then there was a southern kingdom, just two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And um, this was called the southern kingdom. This was called Judah. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Israel, Judah. So when you read some of the, uh, the book of 2 Kings and you read about this king of Israel, this king of Judah, this guy was a good guy, this guy was a bad guy, this guy was a good guy, this guy, it gets so confusing. So listen to what Angie Smith says. Let me see if I wrote this. If I, I did not. Okay. Angie Smith said this. They will each have a series of kings ruling over them. Israel never had a good king. And Judah only had a few. Overall, it was a time of apostasy and chaos that lasted for hundreds of years. Here's another quote by Angie Smith. The Assyrians deported the people of the northern kingdom of Israel and basically destroyed them as a people. Okay? Roughly 125 years later, the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah as well. The difference was that after 70 years, God brought back the people of Judah to reestablish the nation. So Assyria was this huge nation 
that lived obviously in a different area, they came in, they took over the northern kingdom and deported them. Later, the Babylonians come in, they capture, they, they, cap, they in capture, they kidnap all of these people of the southern kingdom, take them away. These are where we get the stories of Daniel. Um, some of those, some of those goods are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When the people of Israel were in captivity in Babylon, that's where we get the uh, promise that comes. I'm, I'm about to get to this part. All right. So Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC when they took the southern kingdom into exile. Now here's the cool thing about God. Remember on Monday we talked about Jeremiah 29:11, that scripture that says, "I know the plans I have for you," says the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope. Um, and sometimes we take that out of context. And remember, God wrote the, a letter to the people of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah and said, build a house and plant a garden and all of that. That was promising them he was going to bring them back from captivity in Babylon. And he did. Here's the thing. There's always a remnant. There was a remnant of people that God was going to bring back from Babylon into Israel back to Jerusalem to build the wall. Remember Nehemiah, Ezra, those guys? To come back and reestablish the nation of Israel. There's always a remnant. There's two scriptures that I love that are exactly the same words. You find them in two different parts of the Bible. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. One of the things that I see on your t-shirts all over the place about Bashor talks about being rooted. Remember I read the story about Dr. Gibbs and the oak trees and having roots that go down deep? I think one of the reasons I love your Bashor theme or whatever about being rooted is because of that story. But I also love it because of this verse. Here it is again in Isaiah. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. I'm going to talk about bearing fruit tomorrow, okay? Jesus, God wants us to bear fruit for the kingdom of heaven. So God promises his people that there will be a remnant, and indeed there is, because God causes a godless king in Babylon, a king named Cyrus, to send those people that have been kidnapped, just to send them back to Israel to reestablish a nation. Come back, build the wall, rebuild the temple, and start over again. But here's the thing. When they get there and they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, they start to, 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 to try to do things right again, there's still a sense of hopelessness. They can't seem to do things right. Even with the rebuilt temple, a relationship with God in the temple just doesn't seem to work. But hidden in the prophecies, in the words of the prophets, are promises of something to come. Not something to come, someone to come. There seems to be a longing, an expectation of something. Someone who will come and change everything. It's pointed out in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, and in Ezekiel 36, that what God's people truly need is a changed heart. Let's look at these scriptures together. This is Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant even though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't that precious? And here's a scripture that's in uh, the book of Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And there were other prophecies, ones that were more specific about a coming Messiah. 
These will be more familiar to us. Uh, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on whose throne? David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. What will accomplish this? Not us trying to keep a bunch of laws, not us trying to jump through a bunch of hoops. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's not up to us anymore. It's not up to people trying to keep a bunch of laws. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Yeah. Okay, now's the time for us to, uh, to worship the Lord for a minute, okay? So let's do that, and then we'll get into our application. Sound good? You can stand up with me. There's only one other slide, so you can't mess up too bad. It's the down button, I think. Wait, but I think it goes like this, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Handing it off. (laughs) Okay.
praise and honor this morning. We exalt you. And we just want to say thank you so much that we don't have to keep a bunch of laws, that you paid the price for us. Yet at the same time, Lord, we want to do right and we want to glorify you with our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, help us. Thank you for giving us a new heart, a heart of flesh, and taking away our hearts of stone. As we look at your words this morning, Father, I just ask that you would, um, that you would take this lesson that I've prepared and that you would make it what we need to hear. And if there are things you want me to forget, help me forget them. Things you want me to remember, help me to remember them, Lord, and just be glorified in all that we do, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. <clears throat> so I want to talk this morning about our brains and how our brains are just amazing, incredible organs, okay? Um, I used to be a teacher lots and lots of years ago. Uh, at a school called Maranatha Academy, and it was one of these schools that started out as a house church. And then it became uh, a bigger church, and then it became a school, and so with, along with the school comes a gymnasium, and so this building was built on lots of different levels. And um, so I had a classroom, and uh, every day coming out of the classroom, we would go to lunch in the gymnasium, which was also the cafeteria. So we would come out of the classroom and we would go down these white stairs and through this glass door to go across a sidewalk to get into the gymnasium. But the weird thing was, we would go out these glass doors, take two steps, step down one step, take a step, step up another step, <laughs> take two steps into the gymnasium, right? So every day I would lead my second graders, right? down the white steps, through the glass doors, take two steps, down one step, up one step, into the gymnasium, right? Every day, day after day, down the white steps, through the glass door, two steps, one step down, one step up, through the doors, into the, whoops, gymnasium. And so, I taught there for several years, um, when I was single and then when I was early married. When my children came, I quit teaching at Maranatha. We, um, we had moved up north of the river, and um, I raised preschoolers. Um, when my children got into school, um, I started teaching in chapels, just every once in a while, but they would ask me to teach. And somebody down at Maranatha learned that I was a teacher in chapels and asked me to come to Maranatha and teach at this chapel. And so I went back to Maranatha, but I hadn't been there for, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 years. And uh, I took a friend of mine with me to go see where I used to be a teacher and be with me when I was teaching chapel. And so I was showing her my classroom and showing her around and stuff. And so we left the classroom and we walked down the white stairs and through the glass doors and I took two steps and then I stumbled. And she didn't. Debbie didn't stumble. And I looked down and somebody had taken some cement and filled in that step because it didn't make any sense for the step to be there. <laughs> my brain told me to take two steps and step down and step up after 10 years. My brain still told me to step down. You know why? Because I'd done it over and over and over and over again. What our brain tells us, oh, what we do over and over and over and over again gets imprinted in our brains. Our brains are amazing things. So do you know what that means? It means what we tell ourselves over and over and over again is super important. We need to make sure that what we're telling ourselves is true. Because what we tell ourselves gets stuck in our brains. So I want to look at this scripture, Philippians 4.8. You probably know it. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I used to think that scripture was all about, oh, listen, you better be thinking about good things. You better be thinking about uh, pure things. You better make sure that whatever you're thinking about is lovely. Don't you watch that show on TV? Don't you go to that movie? Don't you listen? 
right? And I'm sure it is about thinking about, you know, that's, that's, it's about that stuff. But look at that first adjective. Whatsoever things are true. True. Do you ever lay awake at night and worry about something and it hasn't even happened yet? It's not even true? We need to make sure the stuff that we're thinking about is true, y'all. It's got to be true for us to think about it. That's what the scripture says. Think about such things, things that are true. Make sure that what you're thinking about is true. You ever lay awake at night and go, what if my, what if, what if my children don't turn out good? What if, what if, I, get, what if I get cancer? What if my husband, I, wait, he's, he's, he's 15 minutes late. What if he's in a ditch somewhere? I have literally picked out the pallbearers, y'all. I'm just saying. I know who the pallbearers are going to be at his funeral because he's 15 minutes late. Come on. That's ridiculous. What if, what if, what if? No, don't let the enemy run away with your mind like that. Whatsoever things are true. There are so many different things that we can worry about that are not true, and it's crazy for us to do that. We need to stop it. Stop it. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Oh, would you look at that? Has anybody seen this over there? In the, isn't that a metamorphosis of the mind? Experiencing Jesus as the truth. See how these butterflies have metamorphosed? Right? Okay, so there's a Bible study book over there. It's written by this chick named Jeannie Hewitt. It's all about renewing your mind by believing truth. <coughs> Recognizing lies and believing truth. It's available over there in the tabernacle for 10 bucks. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. We already did that. I must have... Uh... Okay, the other scripture that this Bible study is about is this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, do you remember record albums? Yeah. Right? Yeah? So remember we would take the arm with the needle on it and we'd put it on the record album and there was grooves in that record album and it would play the song, right? So I used to listen to um, all kinds of music, but uh, when I was a teenager, I listened to a lot of uh, Amy Grant, Second Chapter of Acts, um, um, Keith Green, all of those guys, right? So I remember later, 25 years later to be exact, that I went to the Christian bookstore and they had 25-year um, anniversary CDs of those same albums that I had listened to when I was in high school and college. And so I bought the CD of these, of Amy Grant and Second Chapter of X. And I put them in my car, and on the way home, I remembered every single word of those songs. You know what else I remembered? Where the record skipped. <laughs> the CD didn't skip. But my brain remembered where the record skipped. Isn't that crazy? Our brains are amazing. So we've got to be careful what we say. And we've got to be careful. Okay, somebody's going to have to doctor that for me because the battery came out. And I'm going to need it here in a minute. Um, so we have to make sure that our self-talk is true and it has to come out of the Bible. We are going to be able to renew our minds by taking every thought captive to Jesus because our brains are going to remember things that we repeat over and over and over again. Our self-talk is so incredibly important, y'all. Look at this right here. What have I got right here? How much is it worth? $20. $20. Now how much is it worth? I just wadded it up. 
I drew. Okay, now wait, 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 wait. I wadded it up. Wait, let me let me smooth it back on. <laughs> now, how much is it worth? All right, all right. Now I've had it with you. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, it's like that one. I stepped on it. I spit on it. Ugh. Now, how much is it worth? It's still worth twenty, but I spit on it. <laughs> you lousy, rotten, crazy, you sorry, good for nothing. I just yelled at it. Now, how much is it worth? It's still worth twenty. Well, how do you know it's worth twenty dollars? Oh, the government has something to do. The government says it's worth twenty dollars. So it's based on what the government says? So if somebody has spoken something over you, or yelled at you, or hit you, or beaten you, or stomped on you, does that change your worth? So what is your worth based on? What God says about you in the Word of God right here. Yeah. So God calls you his beloved child. Your worth does not change. It doesn't change because of something someone has said about you or because of the, the way of someone has treated you. So the repeating loops in our brains, the recorded messages in our brains that someone else may have said to you or something that you say to yourself over and over and over again, they are not true. If they are not true, they don't change your value. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for putting my battery back in. It kind of lost its brain when it fell off. Well, you know, brains are pretty powerful, too. Looky here. Here's what we're going to do. So um, we have these loops in our brains, these recorded things that we say over and over and over again. And it's super important that what we say to ourselves comes from the Word of God. Because we have an enemy who wants to have us believe things that are not true. He wants us to tear ourselves down. He wants us to believe things that are contrary to the truth of God's Word. Are there grooves in your brain that are not truth? Retrain your brain with truth. Replace the lies with God's word. So what you want to do is find a scripture that corresponds with the lie that you've been believing and replace it. So if I had a big old... Has anybody made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches while you were here? Yeah, so if I had a big old pile of grape jelly right here, and I had some steaming hot water and I poured it on the grape jelly, what would happen is there would be some grooves that would develop in that jelly and, uh, and they would uh, make channels that would get deeper and more distinct. Our mind channels information that way. We develop thought patterns that turn into habits that turn into lifestyles. You want to make sure that your lifestyle is a lifestyle of victory and not defeat. Our thought patterns turn into habits that turn into lifestyles. So things that you say over and over and over again, now watch this, you teach them to your children and they say them over and over and over again. And they can become generational. I am so stressed out. I am so tired. I'm so sick and tired of this. Well, I'm worried about, well, I'm just so afraid that, you know what, I just don't belong over there. I don't measure up to them. I'm not good enough. Just, just I'm just a loser. I'm just, it's hopeless, y'all. This is such a failure. So what do we do with these negative thoughts? We replace them with the truth of God's Word. We find and replace 
find and replace, just like you do on a computer. You find the negative and you replace it with the truth of God's word. First, learn to recognize the lies, and second, replace them with the truth that comes out of the Bible. And then you confess that truth over and over and over again. Remember, I had to walk out of that classroom and down those steps and through those glass doors, two steps, one step down, one step up, over and over and over and over again for it to get ingrained into my brain. So you've got to find the truth of the word, and then you've got to say it over and over and over and over again until it gets become so ingrained inside of you that it's just second nature. Confess that truth over and over. It's the repetition that's going to get down in your brain. It took a long time for the negative thought patterns to become ingrained, and it will take a long time for the positive truth to become permanent there. We're going to do a little bit, a little bit of a, a little exercise here, okay? So, um, Scripture tells us God made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I want to hear you say that. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's right. Uh, scripture says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. Scripture says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Say, he who began a good work in me will complete it. Say, he who began a good work in me will complete it. Okay, Scripture says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Say, greater is he, greater is he who, is in me, who is in me than you, than you who, is who is in the world. Greater is he who is in me. Greater is he who is in me. Greater is he who is in me. My scripture says, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. The Lord is with me, I The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. Scripture says, see how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Say, see how great a love the Father has lavished on me. I am a child of God. See how great a love the Father has lavished on me. I'm a child of God. Scripture says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Scripture says, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. Not by, Not by sight. Scripture says, Surely goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy will, follow me all the days of my life. will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Scripture says, I have been made a crown of beauty. I have been made a crown of beauty. Doesn't that feel good? Identify the lie, get rid of it, and replace it with the truth. First you identify the lie. So when you start thinking, I'll give you an example, okay? <laughs> The other day I'm sitting right here in the 9 o'clock Bible study and Adam Davidson is teaching before me. It's Monday morning. I've never been to Bayshore camp before. I don't know how awesome you guys are. It's Monday morning. Okay? I know that Ellen's awesome. I'm beginning to sort of realize that Kevin is awesome. <laughs> right? But I don't really know about y'all yet. Let me reiterate that Adam Davidson is teaching and I'm up next. I'm following 
Adam. And I'm texting my friend from across the street, this guy is awesome, and I'm following him. And she texted me back and said, no, you don't. No, you don't. You do not give the enemy one second of your thoughts. No, you don't. You stop that right now. That's a good friend right there. That's a good friend. Because I'm sitting right there and I'm thinking, what do I think I'm doing? Who do I think I am traveling across the states to teach a Bible study? It's ridiculous. But that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to plant seeds of doubt in our mind and make us think we can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. What do you think you're doing? I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what I think I'm doing. I'm following the voice of the Lord who told me to get on that plane and come here. That's what I think I'm doing. I'm obeying God. That's what I think I'm doing. Greater is he who is in me than you, Satan, who are in the, earth, the world. That's what I think I'm doing. So when those lies come, you have to identify them. And you might need a friend to help you. And then you replace it with the truth of God's word. All right, now here's the reason I, get, I gave, gave this lesson today in this little period of time history in Scripture, okay? Um, so today we talked about Solomon. Solomon, I need a drink because I'm, my words are sticking to my tongue. <laughs> so, we talked about how wise Solomon was, right? Remember the story in 1 Kings 3 where um, there were two uh, prostitutes who came to the king? Remember, Solomon was the king, and what had happened, people would come to him, and he had a throne, and he would sit down on the throne. And people would come to him with their issues, and he would judge and say, you know, okay, this is the way this ruling is going to go. So what happened is these two ladies had babies. In fact, you know what? I'm going to read it. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. And then on the third day after I gave birth... This woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. The king said, this one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, Oh, my lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman. By no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So Solomon was known throughout the world for his wisdom. When these women come to him to decide who the real mother was, Solomon didn't destroy the baby. He never intended to destroy the baby. He destroyed the scheme He destroyed the lie. When he said, bring me a sword, I can imagine that the hearts of both of the women just froze up. I can imagine that they were filled with fear, and maybe for their own lives, not only the life of the child, but Solomon wasn't really interested in killing anything other than the deception. He was looking for truth. He knew this would reveal genuine maternal affection. And so the real mother was discovered when in heartfelt compassion, she cried, don't kill my baby. 
You can give my baby to her, but please let my baby live. That's wisdom. Satan, our very real enemy, wants to make you ineffective. He wants you wrapped up in your failures. He wants you thinking about the the past, believing that a good future for your life is hopeless. He does not want you to be victorious. He does not want you to bear fruit. He wants you defeated and living in despair. So he tries to keep you thinking about stuff that doesn't matter. Instead of praying and worshiping and encouraging and speaking truth to each other, Satan wants you to live in despair. But don't let Satan's lies derail you from your calling. There are greater things to be doing. Scripture says, let your light shine so that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So what we're going to do is, we're going to put Jesus on the throne and we're going to bring our thoughts to Jesus. And we're going to let him say, thumbs up, keep that thought, or thumbs down. That's not a thought worth keeping. Pastor Kevin, can you be Jesus? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So... To bring every thought captive to Jesus, I think, just means when you start having a thought. (laughs) So, So I have this thought, oh man, I am such a failure. I'm such a failure, Jesus. What am I gonna do with this thought? Do I keep it or do I thumbs down that? Let that one go. Let that one go. And I'm going to replace it with the truth of this word that says, he who began a good work in me will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Or I can use this scripture in Romans 8, 37 that says, I am more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. So I replace the, the, the word failure with victory. Victory. So I'm... I'm just carrying on with my life, right? And all of a sudden I think, oh man, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get rid of this sin in my life. This struggle is lasting forever. I have struggled with this as long as I can remember. And all of a sudden, oh, I better ask Jesus, Lord, am I going to be struggling with this forever? Is this a thumbs up? Or is this a thumb? Oh, well, Lord, is there there a scripture that I can tell? Oh, First Peter says, after you've suffered a little while, that Jesus himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish me. God has a plan. He's going to perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish me. I can take that thought to Jesus, and he says, nope, we're not going to keep that one. What if I bring a thought to Jesus that says, I've been asked to go to Michigan and teach a Bible study. Do I keep that thought or do I let that thought go? Is that a thumbs up or a thumbs I don't have a paper for that one. Uh, That's a good one? I keep that one? You should stay in Michigan. You got to... No, 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 no. I I have a family and grandchildren. (laughs) Uh, uh, Jesus, I'm afraid of staying in Michigan. I'm afraid I need my children and my grandchildren. (laughs) And and then there's a scripture that says, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. So see what I'm doing? I'm I'm, I'm telling Satan, I'm replacing the lies with the truth of God's word. Bring every thought to Jesus and and let him give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Yes? No. Yes? No. Here's a a thought. I'm going to tell everybody how God has helped me. I'm going to tell everybody. Is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down? That's a thumbs up. Scripture says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Scripture says, I will talk to my brothers about God my Father. In the congregation I will praise you. So there's scriptures for both ways. Do I keep this thought or do I let it go? Is this a good one? That's what I think bringing every thought captive to Jesus means. So Jesus is sitting on the throne, and we bring it to him. We let him decide. Is this a good one? Or is this a let, is this a let it go? Is this a good one? Or is this a let it go? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jesus. Oh, that's a little, yeah. 
Destroy the lies, y'all. We need to identify and destroy the lies and believe the truth of God's word. What are some negative thoughts that you might have? Let's just talk about it for a few minutes. What are some negative thoughts that you struggle with? And then I want you, all of us together, to come up with scriptures that we can replace that with. Negative thoughts you struggle with. I'm no good. I am no good. What's a scripture? What's a scripture that goes with that? that? What is a scripture corresponding to that thought that we can fight that thought with? Psalm 139. I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. So there's your corresponding truth right there. Right in Psalm 139. I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Satan, you are a liar and the father of lies. Scripture tells me that from my mother's womb I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. There's your corresponding truth. You remember that? You say it over and over and over and over again. I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. What's another negative thought? I can't do it. I can't do that. I can't do that. Okay, right on the top of your head, what is it? I can do how many things can you do? How many things can you do? All things. Satan, you are a liar and the father of lies. I can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you say that over and over and over again. Why can I do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Because I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. So you start stacking them on top of each other and you give Satan what for? You do not have any authority over me, you liar. I belong to Jesus and I will do everything he has called me to do. What is another negative thought? No one loves me. Nobody loves me. All right, who's got the, who's got the corresponding truth for that? John 3.16, God loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son. I'm the apple of his eye. My husband is my maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. There's bazillions. You know what I use to help me find scripture? Google. What's another negative truth? I mean, a negative uh, thought. Anybody? I can't go on. I'm so tired. I can't go on. I'm sick and tired of this. What's the truth to go, with, to go against that? Don't become weary in, in doing well. For when you have, <clears throat> do not become weary in doing well. For when you have, you will faint not. Okay, what is that? Do not become weary in doing well. For in due season you shall reap. If you faint not. In due season. What's another scripture to help you with that? There you go. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Yeah, see how it works? Recognize the lie. Remember we talked about if somebody walked through the door and they were speaking Chinese, we would know immediately. I don't speak that language. I don't recognize that. Oh, Lord, help us recognize when Satan is lying to us. That is not the language I speak. I speak the language of truth. The language of truth is what loops in my mind. The language of God's word is what plays over and over and over and over again in my brain. That's how my brain gets metamorphosed, metamorphosis of the mind, experiencing Jesus. As we experience Jesus as the truth, our mind gets renewed. It gets renewed to where it is believing the truth of God's word, the truth of God's word. That's how we renew our mind. We bring every thought captive to Jesus and renew our mind through the truth of God's word. Any questions? Any comments? Anything y'all want to talk about? Because we're like 20 minutes early. Or you could just go, we could go eat lunch. Can you, can you give some of the scripture that you were talking about when you said, I am the righteousness of God? You started listing some of those. Yes, 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 I can. Exact scriptures. I will go back and do that. So 
She's asking for the scriptures that I kind of I ripped through. So, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. He who began a good work in me, Philippians 1, 6. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world is 1 John 4, 4. Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. That's Psalm 118, verse 6. I love 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love. Jeremiah 29, 11. We all know. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Short and powerful, for we live by faith, not by sight. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 23, 6. And I finished with, I have been made a crown of beauty and I do not have the reference. That's what you need Google for. Anything else? What does that say? Second Corinthians four eight. We are crushed but not we but not despairing. Uh, let me let, uh, let me uh, end with this little tidbit out of Second Corinthians four. So in fact, I'm going to turn there since I have a few more minutes. Let me tack on just a little bit. Um, 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, verse number 7. says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then it goes on to talk about what Gloria was talking about. We're hard-pressed on every side. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So back then, jars of clay would have been like, um, to them it was kind of a throwaway thing, right? A a jar of clay was a container that they would just put stuff in, like we would put um, uh, a styrofoam cup. May I use your cup, please? Thank you. So to us, this is kind of a disposable, this is definitely a disposable container that we just put our coffee in. And so then after we're finished with it, we can crush it and throw it away. So what matters with this cup? What's inside it? Yeah. So after you drink the coffee, you don't really care about the cup. And what Paul is saying here is the treasure that we have is the all-surpassing power that's on the inside of us. What's on the outside? It don't matter. It doesn't matter what's on the inside. What's on the inside is what matters. What matters? The spirit of the living God. And so when we have the spirit of the living God inside of us and it bubbles up on the inside of us and splashes out on people around us, that is when they're going to go, I want some of that. I want some of what she's got. I want some of what he, where did he get that joy? Wait a minute, I heard that his wife is sick. How How does he walk around with that kind of peace? Because he's got the spirit of the living God on the inside, and he knows that God is sovereign, and God has a plan, and he's trusting in the Lord. So we have... This treasure 
and jars of clay and styrofoam cups. Isn't that good? All right, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the treasure that you are on the inside of us. We ask you to renew our mind through the washing of the water of the word. Help us get into your word, God. Thank you for the truth that's there. Thank you for these men and women, God. Please bless them today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for coming, y'all. Have a good rest of the day.